Well, the past two Sundays, we have looked at encounters that Jesus had with two very different individuals. First, we looked at Jesus' encounter with a poor blind man that was begging for money from travelers as they were traveling down the road through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. And last week, we looked at another man from Jericho. Though this man was maybe a wee little man, he was not uh, a man that didn't have any power. He did have power. He did have some authority. He had a position. He was the chief tax collector. He was rich. But both of these men, in their own way, were, were disregarded by the crowds that were around them. The common society did not really hold them in the highest regard, but Jesus looked past the crowds, and he looked to each one of them, and he called to each one of them in, their, in his own way that they would come to him and follow him, and they did. And though they had very different backgrounds, their lives were, were different, their circumstances were different, both of these men were called by Jesus and changed by Jesus. That change led them away from their old life, their old practices and behaviors into a new life that was joyfully devoted to praising God and following Christ. Today we pick up in the narrative of Luke, um, but before we pick up, I want to just kind of remind us again of where we are in this journey which Luke has been uh, tracking. So if you remember, I mentioned all the way back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that was when it says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. That was 10 chapters ago. So for 10 chapters, Jesus has been making his way up around the Sea of Galilee, down southward along the Jordan River, over to Jericho. And that's where we left off last week. But the very next verse, um, as Jesus kind of finished his conversation with Zacchaeus, the very next verse, verse 11 says, as they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. So he's still a little bit of distance from Jerusalem, but he, there's this parable that Jesus gives. And then after Jesus teaches that parable, verse 28 tells us, after he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So I just say that, that the timeline within these events that we've looked at for the past three weeks is really just a matter of, of hours, really. And so this is where we're going to pick up in, in Luke's gospel account today. But before we read, let us pray. God, may these words printed in ink become for us daily bread. Bread that nourishes us and strengthens us. May they be the life and hope for our souls. And God, may your spirit move within us to change us to be ever more like your son, Jesus Christ. Renew our minds and set us on the path of righteousness. Amen. So we're going to pick up still in Luke chapter 19, but picking up in verse 28. After he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, 
Why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had uh, told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying this colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat, or set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, If I tell you, or I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a, this is a big moment. This is capping off, like we just said, 10 chapters of Luke has all been kind of leading to this moment. All this anticipation has been building. And Jesus now arrives at the outskirts of Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem yet, but on the outskirts near Bethany and to the Mount of Olives. And I, um, I brought a picture. I'm a picture guy. So, you know, you hear these names and places and you're like, okay, well, that's great. But what does it look like? So if we can put that first picture up, here we go. That's kind of hard to see. But so right here, this is a modern day picture. This is what the Mount of Olives looks like today. We know where it is. We know what it looks like. And it's called the Mount of Olives for two reasons. One, because it's a mount, right? Not necessarily like a Colorado mountain, but maybe like a Texas mountain. You know, it's got a, it's got a little bump to it. So it's like that, right? So it's a mount and of olives. And you might be looking at that thinking, I don't see many. That's, that's pretty, there's a lot of stuff right there. We have to think, this, this is an old ancient name for this mount. So it was named the Mount of Olives because of its hillside olive groves that, that flourished on it. But this is, this is what it looks like today. And I actually did want to point out, so this area right here, does anybody know what that is? Anybody like been there, knows, knows what that is? That's a cemetery. That's a, that's a Jewish cemetery. And I'll come back to the significance of that um, later. But it's a pretty impressive cemetery. The second picture, I guess it's more of a map. Uh, this shows here we have the temple. Okay, so that's in Jerusalem where we're going. Here's the Mount of Olives. So it's not really defined, it's just kind of named. Uh, Bethany, Bethphage, and the Kidron Valley separates Jerusalem and the temple from the Mount of Olives there. And there's also the Garden of Gethsemane, so that'll be important in Holy Week. That's a, that's a place that uh, we often t- describe and talk about. But so this is, this is where we're at. And the Mount of Olives actually kind of overlooks the Temple Mount. So if we'll go to this one last picture. So again, this is a, a modern-day shot. From the Mount, Mount of Olives, this is a road on the Mount of Olives, looking over the Kidron Valley, and then right here, so that's where the Temple Mount is. 
except for what you see there, the, the gold dome structure, is the Dome of the Rock. It's an Islamic um, uh, place of worship. And that, the Dome of the Rock was built in the 690s AD, but it was built on the foundations of the temple. And so the second temple um, that was built, that we read about in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, that stood where that Dome of the Rock is now. And so as Jesus and his disciples are on the Mount of Olives, they look across the valley and they can kind of look down. They see the temple right there. And then that temple was built on the original temple built by Solomon that was destroyed by, by the Babylonians. So it's got, a, it's got a lot of history in this area. And even the Mount of Olives is even described as far back as King David went there to seek refuge. Uh, you can read that, about that in the book of Samuel. But you might ask, well, you know, this whole narrative, Luke's been focused, about, focused on Jerusalem, about Jesus going to the temple. Why get so close and then all of a sudden there's kind of this, this emphasis on the Mount of Olives? Why not go just right into Jerusalem? That's what, you know, this whole goal has been. Why Mount of Olives? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. We'll come back to that question, though. I'm not going to give you the answer yet. But we're going to move away from the Mount of Olives. And in the, in the text, Jesus sends two of his disciples. So he's got a whole crowd of disciples, people following him. You know, probably the blind man that he healed in Jericho's with him. But he sends two disciples, and I don't know if maybe they just drew the short straw or what, and he basically, you know, tells them to go steal a donkey, and they say, okay, and I, I imagine, this is where my imagination is probably not the best, but I imagine they're kind of looking at Jesus, you want us to go take a donkey? And Jesus probably seeing their confusion, saying, yeah, yeah, if they ask why you're taking it, just say the Lord needs it. And they're probably like, right, okay. So they go. And they, you know, go into the town, and they're like, oh, well, there's what Jesus said would be here. There's donkey. Doesn't look like it's been ridden before, so they just start untying it. Sure enough, the owners are like, what you doing? <laughs> it's like, the Lord needs it. And apparently that's good enough, because the story just moves right along. Oh. But you might be thinking, you know, that's kind of specific, that what Jesus is asking for. A donkey, a colt. A young, and it's, it doesn't mean horse here, it does mean donkey. So this young donkey that's never been ridden on, that's, that's pretty specific. Whoa, why? Well, that's a good question. Glad you asked. We'll come back to that later too. There's going to be kind of a trend going on here. All right, so we're going to keep moving in the narrative. And the story continues. And so they bring this this young donkey that hadn't been ridden before to Jesus and they throw some cloaks on it on top of it and set Jesus on it and Jesus rode along and as he rode along on this donkey people kept spreading their cloaks on the road well if you look at Luke's account he only says cloaks so George to answer your question earlier that's why I'm calling the that's why I titled the sermon cloak Sunday and not Palm Sunday, because in Luke's gospel, he only mentions cloaks. But in Matthew, Mark, and John, it mentions palms. And there's some speculation as maybe why Luke didn't include that. Um, uh, kind of the most 
popular version is that Luke, Luke's gospel is kind of oriented more toward Gentiles, a Gentile audience. And so they may not have known or really understood the deeper significance of palm branches in, in Jewish life. Um, there, there was, there's symbolism there. But you might ask, well, why did people even spread cloaks or palm leaves at all? What's, what, why? Well, that's a good question. I'm really glad you asked. We'll come back to that question. All right, continuing on, though. Verse 37, it continues. As he was now approaching the path down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. These words, or some of these words that the crowd of disciples is shouting is actually a quote and they're shouting words from Psalm 118, 26. So you might ask, why were they shouting those specific words as Jesus descended the Mount of Olives on his approach to Jerusalem? That is a very good question. I'm glad you asked. But now let's talk about why. So here comes answer time, kind of. Why the focus on the Mount of Olives? Why a donkey? And one that had never been ridden before. Why spread cloaks and palm branches on the road for Jesus? Why shout out this quote from Psalm 118? The answer to all of these questions actually comes down to a singular claim. It is one that is indicative of the words that they're shouting. So what I want to do now is just take a slight detour and actually look at Psalm 118 first. And then we're going to work our way backwards through these list of questions. And I hope it'll, I hope it'll mean something. I hope it'll make sense. So first, Psalm 118. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to flip there because it's a very important psalm. It's situated... And your Bible doesn't really tell you this unless you have footnotes and you really kind of get into the, the commentary of it. But Psalm 118 is situated in a grouping of psalms called the Hillel. You're like, what does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word Hillel means praise. For example, if you think of the word hallelujah, it means praise the Lord. Because you begin spelling hallelujah, H-A-L-L-E-L, hallel. And so, if you actually look at Psalm 113, in your Bibles it begins with praise the Lord. In Hebrew, it's just hallelujah. So that's what this, this grouping of chapters, it begins in Psalm 113 and it ends in Psalm 118. There's six chapters there. And they're grouped, in, and they're called the Hillel. And all these chapters speak to God's great deliverance of his people. They're victorious psalms. They're uplifting. They're joyful. And this collection of psalms, and this is what's really significant with, with 
what Jesus is doing and when Jesus is doing this is that Hillel, those chapters are connected with the Passover celebration. So if you think about it, those chapters, those six chapters are kind of like the liturgy. They're the songs of the season. Just like when we have Christmas, you know, we've got certain texts that we like to read around Christmas time. We've got the nativity texts and, and some of the, the Old Testament prophecy texts that we bring into it. But then we also have the songs that we love to sing, right? We sing them at home. We sing them in the car. We sing them in the stores. We sing them at church. They go along with the season. Well, the same way these six chapters in the, in the Psalter, Psalm 113 through 118, were psalms connected with the Passover. So these chapters were already on the people's minds. They were already on the people's hearts. And they sang them together. In fact, in Matthew, after Jesus has the Last Supper with his disciples, it says that after the supper, they sang a hymn together. Most likely, they sang Psalm 118. That was the hymn that they most likely sang together because it was a Passover hymn. And since Psalm 118 is so important, I want us to look at, we're not going to look at the whole chapter of it, but just a few lines from it. Because if they're just, if the people in this crowd with, you know, the palms and all this as Jesus is coming in, if they're just taking one line out of it, we have to ask, are they just cherry picking a verse that they kind of like? Or is this connected with a bigger idea? And the answer is yes, this is connected with a bigger idea. So I want to look at just a few verses from Psalm 118, starting in verse 19. It says, open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. And I'm going to go ahead and kind of interject some commentary on how Jesus applies. When they they look at Psalm 18, they see Jesus. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of enter my own commentary into this. Jesus is about to enter the gates of Jerusalem. He's on his way down from the Mount of Olives, and he's about to enter through the gates into Jerusalem. But Jesus also says that he is the gate for his sheep. Looking at verse 21, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Jesus is God's answer, the one who brings salvation. Verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. He is the chief cornerstone. Those verses or those lines are used multiple times throughout the New Testament when they talk about Jesus as the stone the builders rejected, as the chief cornerstone. Verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We know that verse. Say it every Sunday morning. But here it is in context. Because it's pointing to what God is doing in his act of deliverance for his people through Jesus. Verse 25. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Luke's gospel doesn't use the word Hosanna, but you know, that's a familiar word on Palm Sunday, Hosanna. That's where Hosanna comes from. It comes from verse 25. Because Hosanna means... Save us, O Lord. 
It's, a, it's, it's kind of a, a prayer, and, and that's what verse 25 is getting at. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. So as the people waving their palms are saying, Hosanna, it's, it's not just a, a praise like, yay. It's, a, it's, it's actually a statement. God, save us. Verse 26, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the line that in Luke the people are, are singing as Jesus is riding to Jerusalem. We bless you from the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord, Jerusalem, the temple. The Lord is God. He has given us his light. Jesus is the light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. The people are gathering in the festal procession with branches. We see that. You are my God. It ends with a, a praise. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. You can go through each one of these verses and connect them with God's work of redemption, of God's deliverance for his people. And in each one of these verses, we can see Jesus. And as these people are witnessing what's happening then and there on the slopes of uh, the Mount of Olives, down toward the Kidron Valley, up towards Jerusalem. They are making connections with what they know from Scripture. But there's one subtle difference between what the people shout in Luke and what Psalm 118 says. And I put both verses up here for you side by side. What's different, you can answer, what's different in Luke chapter 19? The word king. Psalm 118, 26, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke 19, 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Herein lies the difference, or herein lies, I'm sorry, the answer to all of our questions earlier. Jesus is the king. For all the questions we raised earlier, why shout a quote from Psalm 118? Because Jesus is the king. Why spread cloaks and palm branches on the road for Jesus? Because he is the king. Why a donkey? Why one that had never been ridden? Because he's the king. I'll explain a little bit more of this in, in just a second. And why the focus on the Mount of Olives? Because Jesus is the king. They all point to the singular confession that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. And so I just want to briefly go through those once again. So why shout a quote from Psalm 118? Well, we kind of already went through this because in that that chapter, that chapter that describes God's deliverance for his people, they see Jesus in those words. Jesus as the anointed one, God's Messiah that will deliver them, that will save them. He's going to be uh, the rock that they denied, the capstone. But why spread cloaks and palm branches on the road for Jesus? Well, because people would spread garments and palm branches on the ground for kings as they went by. It was a symbolic act that people did to pay homage to a king. It was, a, it was an act of kind of reverence and respect and honor for the king. That was, a, that was a practice that was done. And so as Jesus is coming by, they're, they're shedding their cloaks. They're putting it down 
They're, they're grabbing palm branches. They're making a road. They're making a way for Jesus because they see Jesus as the king. For Jews, um, palm branches, especially in, in the ancient time that we're talking about, they were also symbolic of God's deliverance. They're used in a festival of Sukkot, the, the Hebrew word. Uh, it's a little confusing because it's also called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. But all that's just one festival. It's just got different names. But what that is, it's a reminder of God's deliverance of his people from Egypt. And they use palm branches to kind of make these, these little shelters. And it's a way that, that they celebrate that season and remind. So when they, the symbol of the palm branch is connected with God's act of deliverance for his people. And so as they come forward with the palm branches, when Jesus is coming down the road, they're also saying this too is an act of God's deliverance. So why a donkey? You know, why, why, not a, why not a horse, a stallion? But also, why one that had never been ridden before? Well, this is connected to, the people knew their scripture. This is connected to a prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. This is actually our call to worship this morning. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion, Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem, lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It can also have ties to um, this, this time, and it's in 1 Kings chapter 1, when Solomon is going to take the throne from David. David is, is an old man at this point. He's still alive, but he's, he's ready to... To, to give his throne over, but there's a little bit of drama that happens. Solomon doesn't just to say, okay, great, I'm the next guy. David's got another son that assumed that he was going to take the throne, and so he just inserted himself, and so now there's this tension between sons, and David says, no, it's going to be Solomon, and what does he do? He tells Solomon to mount a donkey and ride into Jerusalem to take his throne. Just as Jesus mounts a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. That's what these people are envisioning. This is the king going to take his rightful throne. And so why an animal that hadn't been ridden before? Because it symbolizes an animal's purity. That an animal that hadn't been ridden before was an animal fit for a king. It was fit for a sacred task okay and the last one why focus on the mount of olives remember that uh, picture of the mount of olives and mention the the cemetery on the side of it it's a massive